0: Before we look at the, the life of Joseph and his dreams today, I wanted to say thank you to everyone who came out yesterday for our Arc Day. I wanted to tell you the projects that we did. We had a group that were here at the church sewing. Most of them were our WMU ladies, and they were sewing. I don't know what the technical term is, but it's a carrier thing that you stick on a walker. So what you do is you Put it on there it has pockets so you can put books you can put your cell phone or whatever there so obviously with a walker it's hard to have things in your hands so that's what they made and we had a group that was making lunch and they took that to the uh, police station in south hill and the police station for the state police and they also had a group that went to uh, holly haven and made lunch for the residents there we had a group that were at the raceway gas station they were uh, washing windshields, passing out the Gospel of John, uh, talking to the people. I was one of the ones I enjoyed the most. We got to talk to people who were traveling, and uh, we got to hear some of them were Christians, some of them weren't. There was no one who refused to have us wash their windshield except for one guy, and he was very grumpy, and he didn't want us to do it. Uh, I was surprised, even the ones who had nice cars allowed us to wash their windshields, and they were uh, mostly teenagers doing the washing, so you can imagine someone might be a little bit hesitant to let a teenager touch their nice car, but they didn't mind, so we had a group doing that. We had a group that was going to uh, different uh, nursing homes, assisted living homes, uh, singing, and we also had a group that was, uh, what have I forgotten, Steve? Oh, we had one, Cheyenne was helping build a ramp uh, for a veteran yesterday, and yes, Camp Concord, we had some who were at Camp Concord helping them get ready for summer camp and also getting ready for their open house they had yesterday. And was there anything I missed, Steve, or anyone else who did things that I've forgotten? But I wanted to say thank you because I know that in what we did, we said we love you to those people, they appreciated they were served and most of all God was glorified. So, thank you for being part of Ark Day and We look forward to the next time we do it, to have it even bigger and better, because the more people who participate, the more projects we have, that means we are able to bless more people, and so that is our goal, to bless them and let them know how much Jesus loves them. So thank you for that. I'm going to pray, and then we are going to look at Joseph's life, this dreamer. Father, we do thank you that we're able to do good works in your name, and as You said, Jesus, our goal is for others to see it and to praise our Father in heaven. I pray that yesterday, Lord, people saw what we did and they gave the glory and praise to you, Father. And I pray more than just being blessed for a moment or for a a lunch or for a day. I pray, Lord, that seeds were planted, that you will water and they will grow. They will grow into a life that is saved or a life that is changed or a person who becomes more giving and serving. I praise uh, praise you, Lord, for each one who participated yesterday. I pray that you would bless them for their sacrifice of their Saturday and for their servant heart and their servant attitude. I pray that because of their uh, time yesterday, they would you would open their eyes to see more opportunities to serve. And I pray that more would join them so that we are a church that that sees beyond our walls and sees to the needs of our community and sees to the lost, and that, Lord, we are able to help and you're able to use us to bring glory to your name. I pray that you would teach us now as we look at Joseph's life again and we learn, Lord, about dreams and how they shaped his life and how they shape ours. Teach us, may we obey, and I pray, Jesus, in your name, amen. Well, Joseph was a dreamer. Let's talk about dreams. Of course, we have dreams that are very personal. Usually, it's dreams about things that we're going through, the stress of the day or the stress of what's coming up the next day. We have personal dreams where we see ourselves in places that are familiar, with people that are familiar. So we have those types of dreams. But it's amazing to me how there's over 7 billion people in the world and all of us have common dreams that have nothing to do with our personal lives. On the screen, you see uh, some of the common dreams that everyone, regardless of race or where they grew up or what they do, often have. And So that amazes me. Well, what's uh, maybe more interesting but less amazing is that everyone tries to interpret what they mean, okay, and... So when you get that from scientists or psychics or psychologists, they never agree. But how could they? The dreams really have nothing to do with our lives, but yet we all have them. So it's very strange. I mean, how many of you have had some of these? Uh, A dream of falling. Uh, I've never had that dream, but I have had the dream of flying. That is one of my favorite ones. Whenever I get that dream, I like to take the most of it, you know, and fly the most I can, the highest I can, the farthest I can before I wake up. So I have had that dream. Uh, I haven't had a dream of taking a test, but I have had a dream that kind of goes with it, showing up late there on the screen as well, and that's being in school and being late for class, missing an exam, or showing up three weeks late to a class and (laughs) failing the class, and I don't know why I have that dream. I haven't had formal education in over 20 years, so I don't know why I still dream about failing classes and being late to class. Maybe have you dreamed about being chased. I haven't had that often. Uh, the most bizarre one up here is teeth falling out. Has anyone had that dream? Because I have that dream. So some of you, okay, usually my dream, I'm probably grinding my teeth because I, I start to chew and grind and all of a sudden my teeth are falling out, you know, and so it's just, and it's very uh, disconcerting because it actually feels very real. You know, I, I really feel like I'm in my sleep, Grinding my teeth and they've actually fallen out. So for me, it's very real. So you're learning more about me now than you really ever needed to know or wanted to know. But anyway, uh, driving an out of control vehicle. I've never had that dream. Meeting a celebrity. I've never had that one either. But isn't it amazing though that falling teeth falling out? Why would I have that dream? I don't know. But some of you have that silly dream. Okay, so we're we're uh, the same when we dream that. All right. But Joseph had dreams. People in the Bible had dreams. They weren't about teeth falling out. They were more about them personally and especially their future. Joseph's story begins with a dream. The first thing that happened in Joseph's story is he tattled on his brothers. That's in Genesis chapter 37, verse 2. Right from the very beginning, he gives a bad report about his brothers. We looked at that last week. But the next thing in his story is this dream. It says, then Joseph had a dream. When he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. There we were, binding sheaves of grain in the field. Suddenly my sheaf stood up, and your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. Are you really going to reign over us? His brothers asked him. Are you really going to rule us? So they hated him even more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream and told it to his brothers. Look, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun, moon, and eleven stars were bowing down to me. And he told his father and brothers, but his father rebuked him. What kind of dream is this that you have had, he said. Are your mother and brothers and I going to come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him... ...but his father kept the matter in mind. Here, Joseph has dreams... ...that are very easy to interpret. (laughs) Obviously, I think Joseph told them... ...because he wanted to brag. He's already been a tattletale... ...and now he is telling his brothers... ...hey, look. Look what's going to happen. You're going to be bowing down to me. Not only did I have this dream once... ...I had it twice... And the second time, Dad, even you and Mom are bowing down to me. So his brothers understood what it meant. Joseph understood what it meant. His father understood what it meant. And his brothers hated him because of it. His father rebuked him because of it. I can imagine Jacob saying, hey, just cut it out. Shut up, Joseph. I, I, I know I love you. I've given you a coat of many colors. I'm trying to be, you're my favorite, but don't rub it in. You know, keep, keep your mouth shut. Your brothers already hate you. This dream, it seems, at the beginning when he has it as a teenager is one he takes pride in, is one that he holds over his family. But that wasn't the end for dreams for Joseph. In fact, his story has lots of dreams, of them, not ones that he has, but one that prisoners in his cell have when he winds up in, winds up in prison. There's a cupbearer to the king, there is a baker to the king, to Pharaoh, the the cupbearer has a dream, and Joseph interprets it, and Joseph interprets it as great news. Joseph interprets it for the cupbearer and says, look, you're going to be reinstated. You're going to be back into the king's service. Well, when the baker hears that, he says, well, I want to hear my dream, because I had one too. The baker's dream had these birds pulling out bread from a basket on his head and he's expecting to hear good news. But Joseph says, no, in fact, what's going to happen to you, you're going to be impaled on a pole and the birds are going to eat your flesh. And both things came true the very next day. Joseph said to the cupbearer, hey, don't forget when... You go and see the Pharaoh, tell him that I'm in prison, that I'm here unjustly, I'm innocent. Well, I guess the cupbearer may have thought, yeah, that's what everyone says. (laughs) They all say that. I don't know why, maybe it was because of that or some other reason, but he completely forgot about Joseph. So Joseph languished in prison for two more years until someone else had a dream. And that was the Pharaoh himself. And his dream was about cows. About cows that ate from the plenty of the earth and got fat, but then about seven skinny, scrawny cows that came and ate the big, fat, healthy cows. And it was a dream that disturbed him. And no one in his court could interpret it, but that cupbearer said, Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Pharaoh, I remembered there was this guy in prison. We were inmates together. Uh, He interpreted my dream and it came true. So the Pharaoh had Joseph come in. Joseph tells him the seven healthy cows represent seven years of plenty. The seven scrawny cows represent seven years of famine, of drought. And so Joseph says, King, what you should do is gather all of the extra and abundance in the years of plenty, so there will be some for the years of drought. Pharaoh liked the idea. He put Joseph second in command. I want you to think about this. All those dreams that Joseph himself had interpreted for others, what do you think Joseph thought about those dreams he had as a teenager? As I said earlier, I think those dreams... When he was a teenager, he took pride in them and even held it over his family. But as the years went by, 13 years before he was out of prison and out of the slavery of Potiphar's house, it was another seven years of plenty before the drought and the famine came and his family, his brothers, finally came to him for food. We're not told exactly when in that seven years they came, but by now it's been at least 20 years since he was bragging about his dreams. I wonder if he ever gave up. I wonder if he ever saw them in a different light. And I think he did. Because I think once he was separated from his family for five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. That dream no longer was one that he held over his family or saw himself as the ruler over them. But it was a promise to him that he would see his family again. And there's a reason why I say that. When his brothers did come and ask for food, of course, they did not recognize him. They wouldn't have. It's been more than 20 years. He looks like an Egyptian now. They threw him into the cistern as a Hebrew teenager. But it says Joseph recognized his brothers. They did not recognize him. Notice verse 9. Joseph remembered his dreams about them. Joseph never forgot those dreams. And in this moment when he remembered them... He had the power to make them do anything that he wanted. They didn't even know who he was. All they knew, he was a powerful Egyptian. He could have said to them, bow before me. He could have said to them, now you are my slaves. He could have demanded anything, done anything to them. If this dream for him was still one of domination, of one of him being exalted, I think he would have done that. He would have said, well, huh, finally, those dreams finally come true. I'm going to show you. You laughed at me and hated me for it. Well, now guess what? You bow before me or something similar to that. But he didn't do that. You know, when we looked at last week, he took time and scheming and effort and some would say testing of his brothers to see if their hearts had changed, but also so that they could be reunited. Reunited. He never gave up on his family. He never gave up on that dream. Because that dream changed from a vision of a future where he was exalted to a promise from God that his family would be together. And so he clung to it. I'm certain it kept him going when he was in slavery, when he was in prison, even when he was exalted he still didn't have his family. I'm certain that when he saw the baker's dream come true, although it was horrific, the cupbearer's dream come true, the pharaoh's dream come true, he knew by faith that God was going to make his dream come true and that God was going to keep his promise. And so I want to encourage you. God has given us Christians' dreams. I'll talk about them in a moment. But the dreams at times, like this one from Joseph, was more than just a vision of the future. It was a promise that God kept. God promises Christians that He will always be with us. He promises us He'll never leave us. He promises us He'll be with us in the darkest valleys the highest peaks. He promises that He's preparing a place for us. He promises that one day we will be with Him in that perfect place forever. Never give up on God or His promises because He always keeps them. Joseph learned that. We can cling to that as he did, especially in the darkest times. Now let's talk about dreamers in the Bible. This is maybe a parenthesis, but I want this to be an important point for us to understand. When you look at all the people in the Bible who had dreams, there's only 18 of them. I've listed 15. I didn't list Joseph and Pharaoh and the cupbearer and the baker. The Bible covers a history of about 2,000 years, and only 18 people had a dream from God. To me, that's pretty amazing considering how much we dream, right? I've just talked about that. We dream every night, whether we remember it or not. So millions of people, billions of people over 2,000 years had dreams, but only 18 times did God speak to them. You see, sometimes, especially for us who are Christians, we look to dreams maybe as confirmation or comfort or a direction from God. Now, I will say this. God can use dreams. Because he's God, he can do anything he wants. You know, I would never stand here and say God does not use dreams to speak to Christians. Because as soon as I would say God can't do something, he'd prove me wrong and he'd do it. Probably just to spite me. You know, (laughs) to show who's in charge, who's God, who he is. So he may use a dream to speak to you, to comfort you. I don't know, because he can do whatever he wants. But I will tell you this... That when Joseph had his dream, when the Pharaoh, look at the list, when Abraham, Abimelech, Jacob, Joseph, all those guys in the Joseph story, when they had a dream, there wasn't one verse of Scripture. It wasn't until Moses came. Finally, the number four, Samuel, when he had his dream, or when God was speaking to him, there was some Scripture. Moses, God had given to Moses and the people what we would call the first five books of the Bible. You see, as you go down the list, most of these are either warnings to people, like to the Midianite and Malachite armies, that they were going to be destroyed, a warning from God to Pilate's wife that Jesus was innocent, or their dreams where God gives information about a future. To Daniel, the future of kingdoms in the world. To John, the future of the end of the world. Some of them are personal. Solomon God came to him and asked him a question. What do you want? Whatever you ask, I will give it to you. So some are personal, some are warnings. But a lot of it is God telling, this is what the future is. This is what my will is. And for us who are Christians, if we want to know the will of God, we want to know what our future is, all we need to do is go to the Bible. And there God has it. So I would say, normally, God doesn't use dreams. I'm not ruling them out. but I'm saying to be careful. Dreams by nature are very vague and ambiguous. But the word of God is clear. His will. The future. It's there. I'm certain many times we're praying, God, show us your will. God, show me what I should do. Show me my future. And God's saying, I've already told you. Open up your Bible. Read it. So let's not rely on dreams to guide us and to lead us and tell us our future and and tell us God's will. God may use them. They may have a place. But the first place is the Word of God. I also want to talk about dreams in a different way. We've been talking so far about dreams Like I talked about flying, okay? Literal dreams. We have these when we're asleep. Joseph had his dream while he was asleep. Some of these dreamers in the Bible had them when they were asleep. Some of them were visions. Usually we say vision when someone's awake and dream when they're asleep. But sort of the same thing. They're seeing something in uh, in their mind. But we also talk about dreams in a different way today, don't we? In fact, it was Walt Disney who said, if you can dream it, you can do it. Now, he wasn't talking about a literal dream. He wasn't saying if you had a dream about finding coins in the yard and you were picking them up, if you dream that, you can do it. Go out in your yard, you'll find the coins. Have you ever had that dream? That's another dream I have sometimes. It's bizarre. It was on the list. Finding money. Anybody ever have that dream? No one wants to admit they have strange dreams like mine. Okay, Merlene, you're a teller too. That makes sense that that she finds it. I'll find a quarter, and then over here there's four quarters, and over here there's twenty quarters, and over here there's a hundred quarters. I don't know, that's the dream I have. But anyway, that's not what he was talking about. He was talking about when we imagine. And what are we imagining? We're imagining our future. When we ask children, what do you want to be when you grow up? They're imagining their future. We often call that a dream. Uh, children might say, I want to be an astronaut. I want to be a policeman. I want to be a doctor, a teacher. I I don't hear children say, hey, I want to be a pastor. That'd be great if we had more children saying that. But for the record, when I was a young child, I wanted to be a firefighter. So that's what I wanted to be. So Cheyenne, that's what I wanted to be. But I am here standing and uh, preaching today. But we're talking about dreams and imagined future. Even we see motivational posters that tell us, follow your dreams. Again, we're not talking about literal dreams that we have when we're asleep. We're talking about our imagination, a a vision, our future. We want to be someone. We want to be somewhere. We want to be somewhere at work. We want to be somewhere even location-wise, living. We want to be someplace in our life. And we dream it. We imagine it. And we're encouraged, don't give up. A lot of Disney movies, that's the theme of them. There is a dream, and there's struggle. But there's triumph in the end of the dream coming true. Even this motivational phrase, fight for your dreams. Don't give up on them. Don't set them aside. When times get tough, when you get discouraged, you keep going and fighting because you have an imagined future that you can't give up on. Don't we hear that message in our culture? It's a dream that's about an imagined future. When I think about us as Christians, we can imagine, of course, where we'll be in five years or ten years. But what's most important is where we will be in eternity. And what's most important is what we will be in the near future, what God has called us to do. And what I'm so thankful for is that God shows us that. So when we're talking about dreams in the sense of an imagined future, I want you to hear what Paul says about our future. Death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? Now the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work, knowing that your labor and the Lord is not in vain. This is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, 1 Corinthians 15. Paul begins with the gospel. He simply says, it's Jesus. Jesus, who died on the cross for our sin, was buried and was raised again to life. He says, that's the gospel that I receive, that I pass on to you. Then he talks about the resurrection, because there were people in the city of Corinth and the church in Corinth. He said, oh, there's no resurrection. He said, if there's no resurrection, we're the worst people on the planet because we have no hope. And he goes on to talk about the resurrection, about what our bodies will be like when they're resurrected. And then he ends the chapter with these verses. Our future, we don't have to imagine what it will be. We're told what it will be. It will be a future where we are victors because Jesus has won the victory. Victory over sin. Victory over death. And notice what he says, his last sentence on this whole chapter of the gospel and the resurrection is this. He says to us, if your future is so certain, and if that future is a certainty of victory and it's with Christ and it's with Him forever, then today, don't give up. Today, keep working. Today, keep laboring. Because he says, in the end, it's going to be worth it. In the end, this is what you're going to have. Not toil and trouble and disappointment and discouragement that does come from doing God's work. He says, you're not going to have that in the end. In the end, you're going to have victory. So as Joseph didn't give up on his dream of being reunited with his family, don't give up on this dream, this future that God has for us. Because some Christians in the past have. Even in Paul's day, they were people who followed Christ and then they didn't. People who said that they loved Jesus then said they didn't. Jesus talked about it. Remember the parable of the soils, about those seeds that were sown and some of the plants thrived for a while and then they got choked out by weeds. Some of the seeds didn't even make it. But there were some that grew and had a harvest. The same here. Don't give up and abandon your faith or abandon the Lord because time gets difficult. Know the future. Don't give up on that dream. And more specifically to today, I do believe God calls us as individuals to do things for Him. In that sense, they can be called an imagined future. They can be called a dream. I mean, some would call Say that a a, a preacher, a pastor, when he's called to ministry, that's sort of like a dream. Again, an imagined future. You receive this call from God and then you go for it and you train for it and you do it. Well, it's not just preachers who get calls from God. Everyone does in a sense because God has gifted each Christian and has called each Christian to do something for him. And so Peter reminds us of this when he talks about how we're gifted. Based on the gift each one has received, use it to serve others as good managers of the very grace of God. If anyone speaks, it should be as the one who speaks God's word. If anyone serves, it should be from the strength God provides so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything. To Him belong the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Peter says God has gifted you. You're either speaking or you're serving. Don't give up on that dream. Don't give up on that call. God has called you to do something. You do it. It may get difficult. It may be hard. But just like the motivational posters say, don't give up on your dreams, don't give up on the call that God has in your life. And it's in every Christian's life, not just a preacher's life. He's called you to do something. You do it. In the strength of God, for the glory of God. And don't give up on it. Joseph didn't give up on his dream. One last thing. When we talk about dreams, they're not always about us individually. Sometimes they're about groups of people. Think about it in politics, that's really what all the debate and all the clamoring's about. A certain group of politicians has a vision of what this country should be. It's a dream. It's a a vision. It's an imagined future. Another group of politicians want a different one. So what do they do? They fight, okay, trying to get their vision of what this country should be. So it can be a group dream, if you will. A group vision of an imagined future. So here at Olive Branch, as a group of Christians, not only do we have the dream, the future, certain future of our eternity with the Lord. And not only do we as individuals have a calling from God, but we as a group of Christians, as we gather together as olive branch, God is calling us as a group to something. He has a, a vision, a dream for our future as a group, as a church. And so as I close, I do want to address that. And this is a, an important time in our church to do that because we are... Going to be soon looking for a new youth pastor, and I, I guess I should say that because there were some who were confused last week when I talked about a search committee. They thought I was leaving, and they were looking for a senior pastor. So it's not a senior pastor we're looking for; it's a youth pastor that we're looking for. So what is the vision? What is the dream for us here at Olive Branch? This is what I want to share with you. knows it says, my dream for Olive Branch. I want to give you this context first. There are really only four reasons, not only, these are the main four reasons why people stay at a church. Notice it says stay, not visit a church or go to a church for a few months. But They stay at a church. Usually it's because of a personality, and usually it's someone that's on stage. It's the pastor, maybe it's someone who's leading worship music, or it's someone who's on staff at the church. There is a person that they like. As long as that person's around, they stay at the church. Sometimes it's a program. Someone likes the senior adult ministry or the youth ministry. They like it. They're involved with it. They're blessed by it. Some of that program's there, they stay. Sometimes it's a place. It can be a church. That's the church I grew up in. That building has been part of my life for 50 plus years. I like that place. I'm going to stay there. Sometimes it's, wow, look at that brand new church building. Look how shiny and new that is. I like that place. I'm going to stay at that place until it gets dirty and run down. And then I'll find the next shiny new building. Or it's people. I stay at that church because there's people there that I connect with. I like. They like me. I like them. We're comfortable. We're good. And so, this is just the reality. I'm not here today to say that uh, maybe it shouldn't be that way, but this is the reality. We are human. It's been this way, I think, since Timothy was pastor of Ephesus in the New Testament, that people usually stay at a church if they like the personality, the programs, the place, the people. If one changes, they may leave. If two, probably. If three or four, definitely. Most people will leave a church. Pastor they like leaves, they leave. The program they loved is gone, and the people they loved are gone, they're probably most likely going to leave. So that's just the reality of church. So I want you to have that background. If that's the reality, how do we as a church grow in the midst of that reality? Well, there's really only four ways any church grows. It doesn't matter how big it is, who the pastor is. What they do, where they are, It's only four ways. One are, are babies, okay? <laughs> you, you grow a church by having families that have babies. As you know, that can only happen with a certain age group, okay? And that, also, it's a very slow way to grow a church. It may be the funnest way to grow a church, but it is slow and only limited to a few people in the church who can do that. But it is a way. Most churches grow by the next two. People move into an area. So Christians move from one place to another, they look for a church. And especially a a community or a town or a city that's growing in population, churches will naturally grow because Christians are coming looking for churches. The most common way in places that aren't growing is for people to leave one church and go to another. And that's how most Christian churches grow. Again, it's just the reality. Someone gets dissatisfied at one church, they go to another church. Until they're dissatisfied there, then they go to another one. Again, it's reality. But the way that we're called for a church to grow is for new Christians. That's our mission, right? I mean, all of us can quote Matthew 28, 18 and 20 about going and making disciples. The commission isn't going and having more babies. The commission isn't going... And going to a community that's growing in population. The commission isn't go and find other people in other churches and bring them to yours. The, the commission is to go in and make disciples. So that, that means sharing the good news of the gospel. That means people hearing it and believing it. And it means people being baptized and being part of a church. That's what God has called not just olive branch, but every church too. And what happens though is we're naturally tempted... Every time a church grows, any time a church is what we would call successful, every church, again, no matter where, no matter who, every church is tempted then to start focusing on each other and ignoring people outside. It's just natural, and it happens everywhere. It's always a constant temptation. It's always a constant struggle. Churches, when they're brand new, Or churches, when they're trying to grow, they don't have anybody. So they they start reaching out to get somebody. But once they have enough, and their mind enough, then they don't worry as much about the ones outside. They just start trying to focus on themselves. That always happens. So we always have to fight against that. Because that's always what we'll naturally tend to do. I want to share some sobering news, but some good news that we should celebrate. Do you realize that in the last year that we have statistics for the Southern Baptist Convention, almost a third of Southern Baptist churches baptized no one that entire year? That's sad news for a church that has a mission to make disciples, not to have a single person baptized. And that's about a third of our Southern Baptist churches. Notice 85% of our Southern Baptist churches baptize 10 or less. That's 85. And often they're baptizing one or two or three. It's not like they're baptizing eight, nine, and ten and they just missed going over ten. That's usually the other end. They baptized someone. It wasn't zero, but it was just a handful. That's sad, but we should celebrate from our lake service last June To this Sunday, we've baptized 13 people. And people of different ages, different backgrounds. Some of them coming to the Lord under the ministry of Olive Branch. Others coming from a different time in their life wanting to participate and be part of this church. So that's what I was so excited about when I looked at who was baptized in the last year. It wasn't just all one group of people. It wasn't just all Uh, children or all teenagers. It wasn't just people coming from a different denomination where they don't baptize by immersion, so now they have to be baptized to join this church. It wasn't just that. It was, was people who were unbelievers, who were not Christians, who believed and they were saved and they were obedient to Christ and were baptized. All of those we had. We had children, we had teenagers, we had older people, we had people coming from other denominations, other churches, Uh, We had people who were saved under this ministry and were baptized. So we should celebrate that. That's exciting. As I said earlier, every church, when they are, quote, successful, will often tend to concentrate on themselves. And even we could be tempted to say, well, 13, that's better. We're in the top 15%. We can take a year off now. (laughs) We can We can relax. You know, there's something that this church I'd really like to, you know, I'd really like the, I don't whatever. I'd really like the carpet to change. Let's focus on that this year because we baptized 13 last year. We don't need to focus on that this year. And so my challenge to us is to never, not focus, can you use a double negative? I guess you should say, always to focus on evangelism and discipleship because the moment we don't, is the moment we'll stop thriving, is the moment we'll stop growing. But it's always a struggle. I'm just going to be honest with you, because it's always more natural to focus on me, to focus on us, rather than to focus outside of our church and to focus on those who are lost. We should be grateful that we know our future. I've already talked about it. Our future is with the Lord. It's eternity with Him in heaven, in a perfect place. But we should not be comfortable with our future until we're certain that everyone that we know also has that future. But we know in our family, in our neighborhood, in our office at work, there are people whose future is not an eternity with the Lord in a perfect place, but it is an eternity separated from God, in a place of torment, in a lake of fire. And how can we celebrate and be comfortable with our future when we don't even care about their future? We began the church year in September about talking about inviting people to God's party. If you remember, the sermons were from the Gospels about Jesus talking about uh, reaching out to those who are lost and seeking them. In fact, the idea of the party came from a parable where the master had prepared a banquet and the guests who were invited decided they weren't going to show up. And the master said to the servant, well, go get someone. This this banquet hall is going to be full. And so he went to the nearest place. He went to the city. Still more room. He went to the alleys in the city. Still more room. The master said, well, my goodness, we've got to go to the country now. (laughs) So go out and get those country folk and bring them in. He said, my house is going to be full. That's how we began the year. But I will also say this is, as your pastor, I haven't kept the focus on the theme for the year. You know, it's easy to have a theme. It's easy to preach four sermons. It's harder to keep that focus for an entire year. Especially, not just a year, but two years, or three years, or four years. And so I want us to be uh, renewed in our focus on reaching people who do not know Jesus. Because we've been commanded to, because that's the only way our church will grow in in the best way, and it's the only way we'll thrive and keep our focus off of ourselves. I just want to show you two last things. I know I've gone a long time this morning, and a long way from Joseph and his brothers, haven't I, (laughs) okay? Our North American Mission Board for Southern Baptists, this is their logo. As you look at it, you can tell it has something to do about an arrow, about moving in a direction. But I didn't know till this week what it was intended to be. The, the lines are intended to be pews. When you're sitting in a pew that's straight, you're sitting, you're not moving, you're not doing anything, but I guess listening. The idea behind this logo is to get out of the pew and out of the church and out into... The world. And that's why the next two lines are moving in a direction and are going out. The logo at our church, I have not been good at explaining it. Partly I just want you to get used to it first. Okay? This is our logo. And what's the first thing you see when you look at it? Just shout it out: a cross. How can you go wrong with a cross if you're a church? You can't, can you? When we have them on steeples, we have them in our logos. I mean, you can't go wrong. I I still don't know why we don't have a big cross up here. I mean, a lot of churches do, okay? maybe that's something we can work on. You can't go wrong with that. But that's not the, the only reason why there's a cross there. There's two colors. If you look at the logo, it is made up of arrows. There's four blue arrows that are focusing in. That represents us as a church ministering to one another. Loving each other, caring for each other, fellowshipping together, teaching each other, worshiping together. Things that churches often do well together. We like each other. We want to do those things. The green arrows are going out. That represents us leaving this campus and this building and going out with the gospel and going out and serving, going out and ministering bringing people to God's party, bringing them to God's kingdom, bringing them to, to Olive Ranch Baptist Church. So both the focus on ourselves and the focus outside, ministering to each other and reaching out to the lost, is represented in our logo. And that was intentional. It's not by mistake. I didn't make it up this week. Okay, So that is why it was made that way. So I hope even now as you look at the logo every time you see it, you see the cross, the cross of Jesus where our salvation is there and our hope is, but also you see our mission just in our logo of focusing on each other but also on the lost. And so what I will do as we finish up our church year, we only have really June, July, and August left, the summer, is I want to give you more ways that we are going to make this the emphasis not only of our church year but of our church's future so that we thrive and bring glory to God. That's my dream for all of Branch Baptist Church. Let me say a quick prayer. I know we've gone a long time, but I do want us to close with a song. So I'm going to say a prayer as our musicians come and we'll sing together in response to what the Lord has spoken. Lord Jesus, You have given us the mission, you have given us the dream, you have given us the vision. I pray, Lord, that we would hear you and we would follow you. Lord, I pray especially that you would help us in our hearts to have the same heart for unbelievers that you do, and that we would have the same love for them that we have for ourselves, and we would get as excited for them coming to Jesus as we are, Lord, about coming to you. And so I I pray that you would do that in our individual lives and we as a church. I pray, Lord, for Olive Branch Baptist Church and not just us, but I do pray that we would be a church that is obedient. But more than that, I pray that every church in this community would be and that, Lord, we would see you glorified. We would see you change lives in this community and that we as all churches would bring glory to your name. I pray now we would respond and we respond in faith. And I pray Jesus in your name. Amen. Stand with me please and we are going to sing as we respond.